You've tuned into Booth One on your podcast dial. Why no intro music today? Well, we have a special episode number 47 for you. As we've been mentioning for some weeks, we were invited to participate in the first annual Chicago Podcast Festival. That finally took place this past weekend at the famed Steppenwolf Theater here in Chicago, recorded in front of a live audience in the 1700 Theater. With our guest, uh, Sharna Halpern, joining us in the booth, here's Roscoe and me doing our thing. We hope you enjoy. Okay, guys, so without further ado, we're going to get to the first podcast tonight, which is Booth One with Gary and Roscoe and the very, very, very special guest, Sharna Halprin. Let's welcome Booth One. sat down before you did. I apologize. Very rude. Thank you for that lovely music, Grover. Hey, welcome to uh, Podcast Festival Chicago fans. I'm Gary Zabinski, alongside my partner, Roscoe Fraser. Hi, Roscoe. How are you tonight? I'm terrific. How are you? You look good. I what, Do I? Good. Am I shouting? Am I screaming? Not at all. No, I'm not too close to the mic? No. Right, and, and, I, and I like you in plaid. Thank you. I yeah. like you in plaid. <laughs> well, well, I appreciate well, that. Well, thank you. This is Glenn Plaid, actually. <laughs> Really? Yes. Who would know the difference? I don't know. We are Booth One, and we are named after the famous Booth One table in the pump room uh, at the old Ambassador East Hotel right here in Chicago. No longer exists, but the building still stands. That's where celebrities, public figures from around the world would come to wine and dine to see and be seen. Uh, We celebrate the best in the arts and popular culture and the art of lively conversation. Joining us in the booth today is founder and proprietor of the I.O. Theater, again, right here in Chicago, and considered by many to be one of the architects of modern improvisational comedy, the vivacious and renowned Sharna Halpern. (laughs) Thank you. Hi. Hi, everyone. Welcome to the booth, Sharna. How are you tonight? Fine. How are you? Well, we'll be taking some questions from the audience. I am great throughout the podcast. So listen... If you have something you'd like to ask Sharna, be thinking of it now so that when we get to that, uh, we can find... Uh, somebody already laughed. Someone's thinking of something. Thank you very much. Um, we'll be taking questions uh, throughout. So, uh, again, think about what you'd uh, like to ask. Okay, so since this is an episode about improvisation, uh, we need a title suggestion from the audience. Shout it out. Anybody? Anybody? Title? Title? Shout something out. What's that? Bowie knife. Bowie knife is our theme for the night, Roscoe. Bowie knife, great. We'll be doing nothing that, with that. That'll be easy. We know nothing about that. <laughs> it's just a guide. It's, it's a, just it's a, a guide. guide. Okay. All right. Let me, I'm going to get right to this, uh, Sharna. I'm walking in off the street into the I.O. and I say, I want to take a class. And you say, all right, you've got to take a beginner improv 101 and sign here and do whatever. What... What is the first things that you're going to say to me in the first five minutes of the class? I'm probably going to tell you that this is theater of the heart, where we cherish each other to succeed on stage, that we listen and we treat each other as if we're geniuses, poets, and artists, and we have a better chance of becoming that, and uh, that this is basically where we take care of each other, make each other look good, and we use each other's ideas to create something wonderful. It's all about teamwork, mm-hmm. isn't it? Yeah. Um, 
you have uh, built a, a marvelously creative environment at the I.O. space. You now have, what, four theaters, a bar, restaurant. You have a very inclusive atmosphere. A eight shows a night on average. I think I counted the calendar this week, Roscoe, and I believe that they had 59 separate performances in one week. Uh, how, how do you keep all those balls in the air? You, 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 you must be a dynamo. Well, um, <laughs> I, I have a really great creative director who does all that scheduling for me. So the thing is, I have really good people. That's the best thing I could say about my place. I have such wonderful people to help this operation run. I mean, I used to be a one-woman operation, but with this place, it's just impossible. We have a lot of talent and a lot of great shows, and we have two shows that run every weekend, so that helps because they've been running for 15 years, Improvised Shakespeare yeah. and World News, so we don't have to worry about that show on the weekends. We Those theaters, we keep those filled easily. And, um, you know, a lot of different Herald teams, a lot of sketch teams. Luckily, there's so much talent. It's just a matter of Alex being able to um, make sure everyone gets time to play. Sure. So. Uh, Roscoe, you and I went to see Improvised Shakespeare Company a few weeks ago, um, and I, I, still, to this day, I'm astounded about uh, by what they can do. What, you, what did you say? Well, it was, it was breathtaking. And, and the people have... Do you, do you all know Improvised Shakespeare? Yeah, it? yeah. And, and, and I thought, these people have to be able to act, be able to improvise, be able to listen, know Shakespeare and have the ability to make up iambic pentameter. Exactly. I, I mean, who, who be able can to you transpose teach? and make this joke at the same time? And, and, and they finish each other's sentences in rhyming couplets. Right. Uh, how, how, how is and, this possible? Right, and have all of the amazing references and callbacks. Like, what of the locket that was found with us when we were born? Yes. Abandoned as infants on a ship in Padua. <laughs> and, and, and it's all, and, and how, how is it possible Sharna, that you keep the costs so low for your ticket prices. I mean, we went to see Improvised Shakespeare, and that was two solid hours of eye-opening entertainment. Yeah. And it was 16 bucks. Right. And, you know, beers are cheap. And that's hamburgers the most expensive cheap, show, actually. And that's yeah. the most mm -hmm. expensive show. We went to see TJ and Dave uh, a week ago. TJ and Dave, you guys know him? Those guys are fantastic. Ten bucks. Ten bucks at uh, ten o'clock at night on a Wednesday. I mean, it's the greatest date in the world. How do you keep the costs so well, low I, and I affordable? Do, I I just have to because you know we we have a young demographic and they just don't have a lot of money. So I want to make and and people come back again and again. So yeah. you just can't make it too expensive. If people just keep coming back, then we're able to stay open and we're able to be okay. If we make yeah. it too expensive and people don't come, I, it's not going to work. Yeah, and I think the the three cheeseburgers I had were only six dollars each. Is that right? I don't, $6, I don't know like the that? price of the food. Oh. I, I can't recall, but I, I they think are pretty cheap. I think possible. you got three for fifteen. Three for fifteen. <laughs> I'm okay. sure, pretty sure. And, that's and what tuition was. is what is tuition? Oh, Two ninety five. Asking me questions, I don't know. Yeah, I think. Oh, so. well, I'll tell you. I looked it up. Okay. It was two ninety five, and when I studied with you twenty two uh -oh. years ago, yeah. it was one hundred and eighty dollars. It's gone up. So a to for it be uh, be a hundred dollars more twenty two years later, it's so not bad. As you said, you studied at the. I IO. did study with. Tell Charnet. us a little bit about well, that experience. I, I was there at a particularly wonderful moment, wonderful time for I O. Is the beginning of the family, mm -hmm. and yeah. you were my first coach. And Craig coach Kik or teacher? Teacher. Okay. Teacher. My coach was uh, a little-known actor 
uh, and director named Adam McKay. Oh my gosh! Who who just won an Academy Award for his screenplay of The Big Short? That's right. And, and um, he thanked me on TV. Yes. <laughs> yes <laughs> and um, Neil Flynn. Uh-huh. Uh Was Neil Flynn was had started at I O at the same time that I did. Oh my gosh! And he'd already been to he'd been to California to make it in the movies and TV. And hadn't, and, came and, and he came back mm-hmm. and studied at I.O. And I, I knew, knew Neil when he, I think it's, his car was a Pinto. <laughs> and it was at the time when, I don't know if you all would remember this, in order to keep your car from getting stolen, you, got, you had this big bar that you locked to the steering right. wheel. And so we always had this big, huge lock that he would carry around with him. Still exists. Yeah. Still exists. Uh, Dave Keckner, I performed with Rachel Dratch once. Oh, my God. And you had this pianist. This nice guy, and he's also not very well known. His name is Jeff Richmond. Who married Tina Fey and did the music for 30 Rock and is a big producer now. And Mike actually, Trump. I actually made, <laughs> Tina was a very shy, frumpy girl with overalls and no makeup, and she had a crush on Jeff, I could tell. And he put up a show, he was, he was creating a show for me called Hamlet the Melancholy Musical. And he needed an assistant. And I said, I will get you an assistant. And I said, Tina, would you be Jeff's assistant? And she was like, okay, okay. And, and, they, and they fell in love and got married. Wow. Mm-hmm. Speaking of musicals, you, you, you have something at the I.O. now called the, the improvised musical. That's right, the Deltones. How, how, how exactly does that work? You know, it's it's totally improvised. They get a suggestion and they create a one-act musical with scenes and songs and choreography and it's all made up on the spot. And every time someone sees it, even uh, Nina Metz, who reviewed it, said to me, they must rehearse at least the song structures. And I said, they yeah. don't know anything that's going to happen. Nothing at all. And they're just, we have a great musician who really knows how to accompany them and gives them the styles that they he thinks they need for that mood and uh they create and they're just really wonderful it's it's a wonderful show i know i love watching them as my yeah favorite i'm thing. looking forward to coming to that they're funny for our listeners and for some people out here as well tell us briefly describe to us what you teach at the io what is really long form improv and more importantly what is herald okay well basically and there used to be this fight, too, about short form versus long form. The short form yeah. people were like, we love short form. I have a friend who can't stand the term long term, <laughs> long form improv. Basically, Dell and I created this metaform that just ate short form. That's It's all still there, you know. Um, it's just anything that you know in short form is going to be used on stage. Instead of just two people being on stage while everyone else is backstage, you've got everybody on stage at the same time, everyone being responsible for everything. Um you know the poster on the wall, whatever, whatever has to be the scenes, the editor, the the um, voiceover, whatever, the walk on, mm. whatever. You you are everything. You have like seventeen different hats. So we have different scenes that return in different spans of time, and that connect and weave together. And there's and there's moves that are made that will return in different spans of time. So it's all about them listening and remembering and recycling each other's ideas and connecting. That's what the group mind is and building this story, like what you're talking about in Shakespeare, how they remember everything and bring everything back and they finish each other's sentences. They really connect and build this wonderful thing. So Harold is just basically now what all long form is, is this idea that it's kind of like the old Love Boat series. You have these different storylines that kind of connect together. And uh-huh. there's this moment of, you know, oh, I see that guy's his father. And all these things start to connect. And it's just a wonderful surprise. Yeah. And it's it's a lot more exciting than just one little short-form game because they all have to weave it together and make it work into a big story. Hmm. 
Can anyone learn how, how to do successful improv? And more importantly, I guess, if someone comes in who's non-performance oriented in, in some field, but they're not really interested in becoming a professional performer or a comedian or being on Saturday Night Live, mm-hmm. how does improv help people like that? You've, you've taught hundreds sure. and hundreds of people like I'd this. I'd say most of the people who come... Many of the people who come don't necessarily think they're going to be a performer, but then they get really sucked in. Um, <laughs> but if anything, it just makes you a better speaker. It helps you to really focus and stay in the moment and listen. You know, I actually taught a, a, a class for broadcasters. And the idea of just staying in the moment and listening instead of waiting to speak and thinking ahead was just amazing to them. <laughs> and you think that, wow, that's your job. I can't believe you're not doing it. But they have this question in mind, and no matter what you say, they're on to the next thing, and they're not really responding half the time. There's a few who are good, but I've had some pretty bad broadcasters. It makes you bold. It makes you, you know, spontaneous, and it makes you really a better listener and a better communicator. And that's valuable in, in so in everything. many fields. I think, I th- and I also think it should be mandatory in all schools because there'd be less bullying because you celebrate each other's differences. You know, it's... Uh, you really empathize with each other. And get that to know that each was other. a point, that something I remember from taking a class with you is, is my um, instinct was always to jump in and, and respond as quickly as possible when someone gave me a line or started a scene, and one day you said, you can take a moment, you can take a moment, you don't have to talk right away, you can think, think mm-hmm. about what your options are, think about your choices, and then, and then talk. Something and that always, and, I, and so, I've carried that forward. Do, I've carried yes. that forward in real life. Yeah, because a lot of people think when they take improv that this means, oh, you got to be fast. you got to really be off, you know, off the top of your head, you got to be fast. And that's not what we want. We need real thinking. Right, I this was, is a thinking man's I was, game. Yeah, I was reading yeah. uh, Truth and Comedy. This is uh, Sharna Halpern's book uh, written with Del Close and um, uh, Kim Howard Johnson. If you have not read this, I encourage you to uh, run, another one don't too. walk to Amazon a, and get I'll one. Oh, thank you. There's another book I wrote, too, called Art by Committee, and that comes with a DVD, so you can actually see a few forms. And Keckner and Adam uh. McKay and all these people are in that. Uh, in this video. So because there's so many people in other countries and other cities that are like, just can't get it from reading a book. So now they can see it. So and it's a funny video. Yeah, I pulled out some quotes out of this. And one that's appropriate here is, welcome the silences. There is action in thought. Mm -hmm. Listen to your inner voice. So pauses... Yeah, there's can be interesting, <laughs> but but it isn't. But it isn't. You're gonna cut that silence with a Bowie knife. Yes. I but, swear to God. Ah, there you oh. go. Oh, thank you, thank you. Um, there, uh, it isn't just a matter of just being quiet for the sake of being quiet. What I mean is, there is action and thought. If somebody says something to you and you're thinking, hmm. What's the game move? What does he want from me? I see. What's the best possible response? Uh, I got it. That could take a good 10 or 15 seconds, and it's worth waiting for, and there is something happening if you're thinking. If you're just saying staying quiet just for the effect, I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about there's action and thought. So sure. take the time to listen. Don't worry. It is, you don't have to be f- – we're not looking for wit. Wit is like foam on the beer. You go, and it's gone. You know, we, we need real thinking, and that's that's why I always fun is because we really get smart people because it's you've got to pay that kind of attention that you pay when you watch – 
when you play chess, you know, you it's a real thinking man's game. So we get really smart people. Yeah, at IO, you know? yeah. We were talking about musicals a, a, a little bit ago. Do you do you like musical theater? Oh, I do you, love it. Do you go I to do. Broadway very often and, I, I would and see like things more, in New York? I do love musicals. Roscoe, you were on a New York trip just recently, were you not? I was. You and, saw and a couple of Broadway shows. I did. You want to give this, us this a report? This is really about what Booth One is about: access, first class <laughs> airfare, house seats. Being in the front row. So I woke up Tuesday morning to um, a review in the New York Times that Josh Groban was now starring in his first Broadway musical. Yes, that Josh Groban. That Josh Groban. Yes. Starring in a Broadway musical, Natasha Pierre and the Comet of 1812. The Great Comet of 1812. The Great Comet of 1812. Mm -hmm. So I immediately hopped on an airplane and flew to New York. Yeah, but you were you were flying first class. I was flying well. first class, yeah. but uh, which is another part of leading a booth one lifestyle, and um, <laughs> it the show, seems luxurious. The sh- <laughs> <laughs> yes. <laughs> so I fly to New York. I take a cab to the Imperial Theater. This should have been my first warning because 30 years ago I drove 800 miles from Chicago to see Jennifer Holiday and Dreamgirls. Very excited. Someone got me a house seat. Got to the theater. Jennifer Holliday did not do the show. She was sick. Go to New York. Get a ticket for the Great Comet. The Great, the great Comet? The Great Red Comet? The Great, the great Comet of 1812. 1812. I wandered to the box office. I said, you have one ticket for tonight? He said, let me see. I'll look. Maybe. I'm not sure. Yes, I do. I have one ticket. I buy the one ticket. I go back to the theater six hours later. Something is awry because there's, there's lines in front of every theater, but not my theater. Josh Groban was sick. The show had opened two nights before, and he was ill. And he opened to very good reviews. He opened to great reviews, but he doesn't have eight shows a week in him yet. So did you just uh, get your money back? No. I thought I'll go. I could got, could have gotten my money back, but it was ten, ten minutes before curtain. All right. And I, th- you know, what else am I going to do? I'm in New York. I want to see a play. Someone says, well, you know, his role isn't that big. It's a great show. You should go. So you, so you went. And, so I and went. Did you enjoy it? No, it was <laughs> it was a terrible show. This is a show I, that I Ben Bradley, the major theater critic for the New York Times, said he liked more than Hamilton. Oh wow. He hmm. called it rapturous. Groban is absolutely wonderful. He is superb, which I wouldn't know because I didn't get to see him. <laughs> it's true. You would and, not and, and one of the things that I hate is in the theater is encroachment and audience participation when I don't want to participate. So one, this, this is done environmentally, and the actors are all around. They've re, rejiggered the theater. And at one point, there's a, the, probably the most expensive table in the theater was right in the center, uh, two couples are sitting there. A scene happens, and two of the actors pull up chairs, and they sit down with these audience members and do a scene across from them. Oh. After the intermission, that oh. entire table walked out. They never came back for the second act. Then in the second act, they pass a bas- basket of Easter eggs around, and we're all asked to take one of these. Well, they're not really Easter eggs. They're rattles. And we were forced to... Do this in time to the music during one scene. I see. Oh, gee. This was like Les Mis written by not very smart people. <laughs> and I, but I don't know. Maybe I'm wrong. Maybe I was better than you, I didn't get you to see be. Josh Groban. Maybe. And you know, speaking of Hamilton, I need to digress here uh, just uh, for one second. I have in my hand a single ticket to Hamilton. Um, <laughs> for Sunday matinee, uh, December 4th. And that uh, lucky person, 
uh, who will win this ticket. All you have to do is sign up for our mailing list, which will be out in the lobby. Uh, our lovely producer and uh, her assistant, our audience um, what, what, Michelle, what, what are you actually? Our audience engagement manager? Yeah, that's what you are. They'll be out there signing up. So if you're interested in coming to Hamilton and you have not seen it, uh, we have a single ticket. Sharna, let's get back to you just for a second. <laughs> or for the what, rest of the show. I noticed that my picture's on this mug. That's it so is. sweet. Thank you. What, I, I get to keep the mug out. Right. What did you want to be when you were growing up as a child? Oh, gosh. I, I really thought that I was going to be a teacher, and I was for a while. Mm. <laughs> I taught juvenile delinquents in a school um, where they were they were sentenced to be there. It was run by nuns. I was the only Jewish person in the school, and um, and it was a wonderful experience. I mean, I really when Welcome Back Cotter came on, I thought that I was ripped off. Let me just say that. I thought that somebody <laughs> eavesdropped on my writings because I swear to God, I had every one of those characters. Um, wow. And it was kind of a dangerous place, but I was the only teacher that wasn't beaten up. And I was there for three years, and I loved it until I got offered this radio job, which was a fluke, and this is a whole long story. But um, that's what I was. And then I fell into, you know, it kind of followed this path, which is what improv is all about. You kind of stay in the moment, and it leads you. And that led me to this radio job. And... Um, <clears throat> Then I came back to audition at WGN for a radio job, and I was at a party, and there were all these Second City people there, and I was just goofing around with them, and I guess what it was called was doing bits. And um, Tim Kazerinsky was there and said, you should be at Second City. You're so funny. You should be on stage. And then he got me this weird audition, and um, there was no reason for me to be auditioning for improv. I knew nothing about it. You know, so, of course, I did terrible. But then I wanted to watch a show and see what it was that I had just lost. Mm -hmm. And I thought, wow, you could do this as a job? Make stuff up on stage and do scenes? Yeah. So I started taking classes. And then, um, yeah. When do, I, you, uh, I, do you perform any longer? I, I perform for a while, but I don't now because I wear hearing aids. Do you miss unfortunately. it? Yeah, I do. I do, but you got to be able to hear and if I'm not facing someone right in their face, I don't hear. So, you know, it's all about listening. So it's kind of like there's this famous chef, I think it's Greg Ashantz, who had cancer of the tongue and they had to take off his right. taste buds. And I just right. feel like, oh, that poor man I know. <laughs> How can you cook and not taste? And it's the same thing. It's hard for me to direct and teach because I don't hear well. So it's, What, it's what about the legitimate stage? Doing a play. I would do something like that, sure. And I'll do monologues in my things. And I'll do, I told Adam McKay I'll be in his movies. He promised me a cameo. Really? So, yeah, he has. Wow. And, he, and he will. He'll, he'll do it. Um, <laughs> but I'll do, I'll just, he will or else. Hey, you are, um, else so yeah. I, I would do stuff like that. Yeah, it's just improvising, is you just can't do it if you can't hear, you know. Yeah. yeah. Are you in touch with him? Adam, oh, sure. are you in touch with a lot of the people? That yeah, you I'm in touch with? with mostly Amy and Adam, and then a whole bunch of the people you don't know that are. Like Seth will do stuff once. So Sidakis is always harassing me in funny ways. Um, and, you know, and Amy and Tina flew me out for their opening of their movie, their premiere. They surprised wow. me. Wow. They surprised me and said, "What are you doing Tuesday?" And I was like, "I don't know what." And they said, "You're coming to New York. We have we're, give us your personal assistant, and we'll give them all the information." I'm like, "Okay, my personal assistant, <laughs> you got it." You know. And, <laughs> what what and, about Cecily Strong? Oh yes, that's wow. all the time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I, I, can I talk about myself for a moment? Go ahead, go ahead, go ahead. Right. <laughs> oh, oh, it's that Gary look. No, Ross, don't talk about yourself. <laughs> Very quickly, well, I, I, I wasn't giving you a And I have a good story to say about Cecily too. But first, let's hear Ross. Go ahead. <laughs> Let me get out my you, you Bowie knife. You can just knife. turn this on. <laughs> 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 Bowie. 
Bowie. Bowie. Isn't it named for David Bowie? Not David Bowie. Jim, no. Jim Bowie. Jim Bowie. Oh, my God. <laughs> oh, my God. I finally make my debut at the Steppenwolf Theater only to shame myself by getting the Bowie right. Bowie. 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 Bowie nice. So Cecily was... Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Go ahead. <laughs> no, Cecily was a student of mine. And, you know, Lauren Michaels comes to my theater every year, sometimes twice a year. And um, I have to put up the best 15 people for him. So I have to do a few months of auditions because I give everyone a chance to show me their stuff. They have to uh, do like. Are these the best 15 people in, in classes then? It, it, or well, performing? performing. Performing. I see. I do look at students too because you never know. But I, and I you're the one, judge of who the 15 are. Right. right? So what, what I'm saying is I, I'll do like three months of auditions every Monday night. I'll see 15 to 18 of my people that I owe. And I do this for months. And then after that, I choose the best 15 because I know Lauren's going to come sometime in the summer. So this one year, this is back at the Clark Street space, Cecily was my box office manager, and she was also on the Deltones that we were talking about sure. earlier. And um, I just finished that long, grueling, which I hate, three months of auditions. And as I was walking up the stairs, I passed the box office, and I saw her. I said, Cecily, you didn't audition for me, because she's one of my top performers at the time. And she said, I know, I have some stuff, but I didn't think it was ready yet. It's too short. And I'll wait till next year. I said, well, show me what you have. Come upstairs. And she showed me. And I said, you know, it's actually pretty good, because it is short. And some people go too, they'll take a joke and they'll go too far with it. It's like, we get it. We get it. Move on. Show us as much as you can show in five minutes. And I said, I'm going to put you up. I think it's good. And she was like, no, I don't think it's ready. And people are scared to go up if they're not ready because if he sees you once, he might not want to yeah, see you again. You don't want to you know? blow your chance. So, That's for um, sure. I convinced her, and she went up, and she got hired. And had, she, had I listened to her, she might still be answering the phones at I.O. Oh. How, how long did she study with you? How long was she at I.O.? She was, she was with me for, I would say, you know, I don't know exactly, but I'm going to guess over a year. My quick story okay, was go ahead, that go ahead. I did a show with her. Oh, you did where? At um, Bailiwick, mm. and it was the first production of The Christmas Schooner, the lovable holiday musical they do every year. Here, here in Chicago. Here in the Chicago. Ba the Bailiwick is a theater Bailiwick, here yeah. in Chicago. Yeah. Yes, uh, and they're the doing the theaters. show for the 21st year now at the Mercury Theater. Mm -hmm. And I think she was in fifth grade at the time. Oh. She, she was the little gir girl on the pier that met the Christmas Schooner when we finally pulled in with all the Christmas trees. And what, what role were you playing? The grandfather. <laughs> oh, I'll tell her. I'll tell her. I'll tell yeah. her. Yeah, we're we're Facebook friends. Oh, good. Okay. Yeah, Sharna, tell us about another passion of yours. I happen to know that you are um, a great uh, advocate of dog rescue. Yes. Um, how many dogs do you have now? Right now, I have two to three. I there's another one that. <laughs> well, here's well, here's the thing. There's one that um, I wanted to rescue a number of years ago, but I couldn't because I already had three in the law in Chicago. You can't have more than three dogs. So it, I made is my that friend. true? Yeah, in the city. I didn't know that. So this. I made Mike take her. Mike is a friend that works for me. I make all my teachers have dogs, by the way. Um, and so we share her because he fell in love with her. I, I really was going to take her, but then he fell in love with her. So I have her mo most of the time, like three or four times a week, three or four nights a week. So um, I consider her partly mine. So that's Stella. And then I have Mia, and I now have Violet. Violet is was a, a foster. Up and I, I've been fostering dogs, and I take them in, and then I get, give them homes. And um, these past few weeks, I've fostered a number of dogs, and Violet was one of them, and um, I fell in love with Violet, and I kept her. So you're keeping Violet. Keeping Violet. I've had her about almost four weeks now, and she's amazing. Is and she ready for a Chicago winter? 
I don't know. I just bought her a sweater she's today. Tiny, right? She's yeah, she's small, tiny. She's low to tiny. The ground, right? I bought her a sweater today, so we'll, we'll uh, see how she does. Um, and she likes it. So, but I am worried about her because all the dogs I've always had are like 125 pounds. Like my other dogs, Annie, that just recently passed away, were big labs. Yeah, and big, they're yeah. Hundred, you know. So, and I been and when Bear was dying, I had to carry him around, and I was killing myself. I couldn't do it anymore. So I thought that's it. I I have to have small dogs now. But I do have one big dog left, Mia. She's about. She's about sixty pounds. Uh, I I I met Mia uh, a couple of weeks oh, ago. Oh yeah, you yeah, were I was office. in your office. Yeah, yeah, yeah. She's, she's she's a good sized dog. Yeah, she's beautiful. She's well, that's she's marvelous she's, that yeah. you do that. Uh, I do, and and I do want to say, you know, ACC. That's really it's animal care and control, but that's really the dog pound. And what that is, I know. Every, I get people say to me, "Well, I only want to adopt from no kill shelters," and I understand the concept. But the thing is, the pound has to take in every dog. They cannot turn the dog away like paws can. They could say we're full. So. When the cages are full, somebody's got to go. So they're the dogs that are in hell and in danger of being put down. So please, if you have any room in your heart, go adopt a dog. If you want to foster, see me after the show, because I I pull every couple of weeks, and so I oh, got four dogs dog homes this you, week for sure. Does anybody have any questions for uh, Sharna? Anybody think of a question? I'm looking out at the audience if I can barely see you. Yes, I, I see a hand right there, sir. Nice and loud. No, you just need to shout. A uh, little serious question? About improv. Sure. Okay, sure. Um, I was reading about the recent controversy at Second City where a, a lot of the actors left the main stage show because of hateful vitriol that was coming from the audience. I'm wondering if you have any thoughts on when improv is opening itself up to audience participation, does it also open itself up to uh, you know, maybe hateful language or you know, does it create a, a dangerous space for I, I don't think so. I don't know what happened there, and I'm not sure. I'm just not sure what happened there. I mean, we have not had any problems like that uh, at our theater, thank goodness. And, you know, you can't censor yourself in improv. It's about bringing real slices of life to the stage. And there is nothing that can't be discussed or, you know, talked about because that's our job. And once we start censoring ourselves, uh, that's that's when I quit and just keep working with dogs. Um, <laughs> but uh, I I don't think it's dangerous. I think we need to have an open discussion about everything, you know, and I think, um, you know, I, I, I really just don't know enough about what happened. If somebody was egged on in some way, I just, I only read about it like you did. I know there, you know, there are a lot of bad people in this world, and if somebody was racist in my audience, I probably would throw them out. Um, but... Again, it's all about sharing our differences, you know, yeah. and, and taking care of one one yeah. another. That's what it's about. Something we ask our guests quite often, and I think this is I, I like this question because it reveals quite a lot. Think about it carefully. There's there's truth in silence. So if you need to think about it, okay. go ahead. Um, if you could have one thing delivered to your house every morning, some convenience, <laughs> like milk or a newspaper or something. Well, I do get my newspapers. What? Yeah, that. Yeah, but okay. something more significant. What? What might that be? Some, what? Probably some kind of animal. <laughs> I mean, any kind of an animal. Uh, maybe a different one every day. A different animal every like, day. Like a pig. 
or a little bear cub or something like that. I believe that any kind of animal, if you get it from a, as a baby, will be friendly. You know, like Tim Kazarinski, he rescued a baby skunk. No, no, a baby squirrel, a baby squirrel. And this squirrel became like a dog to him. And it would sleep outside, but he'd open his window, it would come in and would um, sit on his shoulder, and he could call it and everything. It was just like if you raise it with love. I rescued a bird, really? and the bird kept coming back all the time and would come to my porch and stuff. Really? And when I walked the dog, he would sit, and I, I made a bird bath for him and everything, and he would just sit on the on the, on the the railing and watch me when I walked my dog. He was, um, I got him as a baby and raised him. So I really, I think, an, an, I'm really into animals, as you can tell. Uh, yeah, I can tell, absolutely. All kinds of, so something like that, I guess. Do you uh, do you record uh, shows um, uh, at, at the I.O.? Do you mm-hmm. record heralds and um, videotape? Or, yeah. Well, videotape, we digitally. We have DVD, all the, all the shows are <laughs> that's, recorded. That's how yeah. old I am, videotape. Uh, you, you record them for later usage. What does a review of, of, of a show like that uh, help teach the performers, the players, the yeah, actors. Yeah, we don't really record them for later usage unless something happened that we were going to write up, but that that's rare. Um, basically, it's good for them to watch with the coach to see what went wrong. They like to watch themselves. They like to listen. They like to see how things went, what went wrong, what went right. You know, they can kind of give notes to each other. Yeah. Yeah. How, yeah. how, how many classes do you still teach currently? Currently, I'm not teaching at the moment because I've been traveling, and I just came back from Africa a couple months ago, So, uh, and then I went to China before that, So, and I was taking care of elephants. Here's something else you can do, by the way, if you want to foster elephants. Um, I was in Kenya at this David Sheldrick shelter, and um, what they do is they rescue baby elephants who've watched their entire families be killed by poachers it's a big problem and then these people take them back and then they raise them just like their babies you know and they they sleep with them they give them their milk and then after they get a little bit older they walk them into the deeper into the bush so they can meet the other elephants and they spend the day with them and then they bring them back to the camp and you know they have their mud bath and their milk and their food and they go to bed and they do that every day and then eventually the elephant will say you know what i'm going to stay with these guys and that's what the keeper wants. It's heartbreaking because he raised him like a baby. And then what happens is then they, when because it's very dry there and it's hard to find food and water, then the, the ex-orphan will say to the wild elephants that they live with, I know a place where we can get great water and mud baths and food. So they bring back all these wild elephants that then meet the new orphans. And then the orphans go, oh, I know you. You were at the shelter the other day. You know, and so... Um, it's just this place full of elephants and you get to be with them. And the thing is, because they were raised like babies, they're like dogs. You can talk to them. Like my friend was an elephant named Simon, you know, and um, one of the keep he would like take the water and like waste it and spray everyone to be funny. And, and the keeper would say, Simon, stop wasting the water. Don't do that. And he'd like back up and he'd go, okay. And then he'd go back <laughs> and drink the water. But you could call him, and I was like, Simon, show me how to feed you. How do I feed you? And uh, he would show me. He actually took his trunk and showed me how to do it. And then at one point, he trusted me so much, he just went, which was opening his mouth, and just said, just put it in. And I was like, okay, I'm scared of that. But um, but I was just surrounded by these elephants, and I lived with them for three weeks. And it was and a giraffe named Kiku, who was also rescued. And she also was amazing. It's just like this giraffe. The first day, I didn't realize it. They said, Kiku, would you like to take Sharna for a walk? And then she goes for a walk, and I figure, well, she's just a giraffe. She's walking, full, and and so full, I stopped. I full stopped. Grown giraffe. Oh, yeah, totally. Well, yeah, but they've had her since she was a baby. Yeah, but and so um, I stopped to talk to an elephant. All of a sudden, she comes back around this barn and looks at me like, "Are you coming?" 
or what? And I was like, and the keeper said, your giraffe is waiting for you. And I was like, <laughs> holy shit. I had no idea this giraffe was actually going for a walk with me. And then every day I would spend my mornings with Kiku. And uh, she would like come to my cabin because I live there, you know. And she'd look at me. And I had pictures of her staring in my window. And if I if I went to play with the elephants, she'd be like, are you going to be with them all day? And she would just stare at me. And so so Kiko and I really bonded. And um, so it's like if you ever want to give money to that place, they do amazing things for elephants. It's the David Sheldrake Wildlife Center. We we discuss elephants quite often on the show on Booth One. Why? Uh, we have an affinity for them. They're um, so smart. It's they amazing. they are. We've we've talked about the uh, Center for Elephant Conservation that the Barnman, uh, the Ringling Ugh. Brothers, and Barnman Bailey Circus has started now in Florida. Now they're all the elephants. That's are great. Retired. I had a big thing with. Chris Jones from the Tribune, because he wrote the story about how terrible it is that the circuses are retiring them, and it's just not the same. And I was just like, who the hell do you think you are? <laughs> you know, and uh, he said, he wrote me, and he said, oh, all right, let's talk. You can give me a lesson on elephants. So I got to call him this week. Nice. Yeah. We'll see. It pays off. Anybody else have a question for Sharna? More questions for her? Nice and loud, because I don't hear. Yeah. Yes, sir. Nice and loud. What other kinds of art? What kind of yeah. art? What other kinds of art are you into besides theater and improv comedy? Well, I'm into writing, um, and I wrote a movie. I've written two books. I wrote a movie that um, Adam McKay says he will produce, and Lauren Michaels says he will executive <laughs> produce. And um, wow. it's being rewritten right now by uh, Rich Tellerico, who just won an Emmy for Key and Peele. Right. And um, because Adam wanted me to rewrite it, and I was like, I. If I, if I could have made it better, I would have done that the first time. <laughs> I'm, just, mm -hmm. I'm amazed I even wrote it. And it's about Dell and me, and it's really funny because Dell was a real character that was my partner, Dell Close. And uh, it really wrote itself. It really did. And um, so, yeah, I like writing, and I'm actually working on something else as well about a friend of mine who became homeless who was this brilliant girl who just kind of snapped, and it's kind of weird when something like that happens. So, um and I don't know if that's going to be funny, though. It's not going to be funny. Mm. So that's really kind of what I'm into. Well, improv doesn't always have to be funny. We no, think of no, improvisation no, as, well, most people think of it as Second City or, or mm -hmm. I.O., and they go for, they want to be entertained. They want to laugh. Um, but you clearly say in your book, and I'll hold it up again, Truth <laughs> in Comedy, uh, be honest. Don't go for jokes. There's nothing funnier than the truth. So... Well, the comedy I think, I comes think, out of situations well, exactly. and relationships. And, and it can be very serious. And I tell that to my students, too. Um, you know, anyone can make me laugh, but I, my hand is off to somebody who can make me go, oh, you know. So I like when there's something happens that's sad or serious or you know, truthful. We can It can be very touching. And it can be even a little scary, you know, as a gentleman asked before. Um we have to be able to do everything. We have to we have to say something on stage. There's no point in being up there. So it's it's okay to make you mad. It's okay to make you laugh. It's okay to make you angry. It's okay to make you cry. It's okay to gross you out. <laughs> Whatever we want to do, mm -hmm. but we have to have something to say. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think there, there's a line in the book which is. Trying to be deliberately funny or witty often leads to disaster. Yeah. <laughs> and I thought, oh boy, I'm in trouble. Oh boy. Yeah. <laughs> Ro Roscoe, do you have a particular memory of, of a, an improv experience that you had at the I.O. that you might be able to share with us? 
Um, is there is there one thing that kind of stands out? Was I a good teacher to you? you were, I don't remember you were, teaching you, him at all. I know. This was so exciting. You don't remember him at all, right? Mm-mm. No. <laughs> I, I, I... Gotta be honest. I know, you do. Well, you probably had, you know, 5,000 students right. since I was there. Right. And, but I, you know, I, I had thought tonight, would, I hadn't seen Sharn in more than 20 years, it would be a tearful reunion, <laughs> and you would look at me and go, oh my God, yes, Roscoe, how are you? You were my greatest student. You, you were my greatest student that got away. What <laughs> happened? I know. And yet I remembered your wife, Betsy, like that. Oh, we, well, yes. Yeah. Like that. I don't know Who why. Who had studied She's 10 memorable. years earlier. I know. Wow. I'm sorry. I don't know why. Maybe she know. was 10 I, times better. May, maybe. <laughs> I'm, I'm well, just saying. you know, and, and here's what happened. You know, I, I have, here's the good news. Improv was not my thing. Okay. It was not what I was called to do. But you never made me, I never felt untalented. And I never felt that I was a loser because I wasn't doing well. And, and you empowered me. Okay. And you, you know, I went on to do theater. So it wasn't, I t- acting, acting, and play plays. Um, play, please. Um, you know what I mean. It's late. I'm up past my bedtime. Um, but I, you know, I left abruptly, and I remember you saying, "I'm not surprised. You're very talented. Go on and, and do that show." Good. Uh, but you're always very nurturing, and I remember you talking about not only about taking the time, but about the importance of being specific mm. and how specificity was funny. And you told a story about Mike Myers. And he would be on stage, and he wouldn't say, pass the ketchup. He would say, pass the Heinz 57. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. you said, Heinz 57 is funny. Ketchup isn't. Yeah, because he would be specific. And, yeah. and in a Herald, too, all the specifics can return. Like, you you know, you could say, you know, if you're, would you like a ride in my Datsun 280Z? And then later on in another scene, if you see your Datsun 280Z at the side of the road that's broken down, you can laugh at that because you, you know whose car it is. But if you just say, want to ride in my car, and then somebody else's car, it's just too generic. Mm-hmm. But uh, yeah, he was always, he was funny. He was very specific. He even he even taught for a while, and he used to make fun of people who weren't specific, and he, he'd become, what was it, vague man. He'd say, <laughs> yes. okay, I'm vague man. What do you do? I do things. Where do you work? <laughs> At the store. Got to go someplace. I'm vague. <laughs> and my, my, I, only, I only had one shine. We, I was there when all the teams were named after characters in Reservoir Dogs. Oh, yeah, right. So there's Mr. Red, Mr. Blue, Mr. Yellow. I think Mr. I was I had to do that because I had like Team A, Team B, Team C, and they right. all got offended. They all thought, why is he on Team A and I'm on B? I'm like, I, it's just letters in the alphabet. It doesn't mean I'm rating there's, you. There's no egos in So improv, then when Reservoir there? Drugs no. came out, yeah, right. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I just decided to do that yeah. instead. Like, no one can get. Like, I, then, but then they. They are so funny. They go, I don't want to be Mr. Pink. I don't know if you remember that reference. Never mind. Yeah. yeah. Uh, yes. And my, my, my one shining moment in, in all of the time. I, I wasn't on. Maybe I was on stage six months. I don't remember. <laughs> you obviously don't remember. <laughs> but, um, but my one shining moment was it was germane to the scene and it fit. And somehow Emily Dickinson came up in a scene. And I somehow remembered that you could... Any poem by Emily Dickinson could be sang to the tune of Yankee Doodle Dandy. Uh. And so I sing, because I could not stop for death, death kindly stopped for me, the carriage held but just ourselves in immortality. And you thought it was hilarious and great, <laughs> oh, and you good. were thrilled. Ro- Roscoe oh, asked me before the show if we could sing, and I said, well, if it comes up naturally, sure. <laughs> well, Apparently, it, it just did. It did come up naturally. Very nice, excellent. That was excellent, now, Roscoe. If, if I could only, Thank you. If we could only get the buoy knife issue to work. Well, we might. I, th- right. I think you guys handled it. Don't we're worry about we're it. running a little late on time here. <laughs> and I want to really remind already? everyone that I still have 
a Hamilton ticket for December 4th. Uh, all you free. have to do is free. Wow. All you have to do is sign up for our mailing list. It'll be outside on the table, or you could go to our website and do so. We're going to do the drawing on the 26th of November, right after Thanksgiving, and it will notify you um, immediately, and hopefully you'll be able to uh, accompany Roscoe and I. I have a question for you about okay. something else you say in your book, Truth in Comedy. <laughs> <laughs> um, you say improv is much closer to ping pong than it is to chess. Can you explain that to us? I said that. I I, I think I was just Someone using ping pong as a, as an example of how to improvise. It's like um, you don't come on in a, with a whole paragraph with the whole story. You just give one line, and then the other person answers. So it's like you ping, I pong. You ping, I pong. You can't go ping, 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 ping. So that's how I use oh. ping pong because so many times people will come on with, I know that we're going on a date, and you just got divorced, and you really don't like my brother. Blah, blah. It's like you're <laughs> writing this whole story. It's like yeah. just just say. Hey, this is a great date. Yeah. That's it. That's it. And then the other person will say something and together you will figure it out. It isn't your idea, it isn't my idea. So, but it is very much like chess because um you have to make a move. There there are game moves I, uh, that we teach you. It's it, and what by game move, I mean we're we're kind of reading we're, just, we're not really saying what we're saying, you yeah. know what I mean? So, one of the examples I would give was um uh, we were doing a scene about abuse. You know, we're, we're talking about we, the monologues were about a kid locked in a cage. You know, we we always read about parents abusing their children, unfortunately. And so I started a scene uh, saying, "Father, could I have one piece of bread today?" You know, <laughs> so what I'm really saying to him is, "Hey, you're the mean, abusive father. Give me something to fear." And it might take a few seconds for him to go, "Huh? What does she want from me?" Oh, I see. I I shouldn't offer her a steak. You know, I should say, "No, clean that." dirt floor, back in the cage with you. So we give each other these game moves. So we have to listen and think, hmm, and it could take a good 10 or 15 but seconds. But never good to think too far ahead, never plan what's happening. No, like you a, can't. Like because, a good chess player will plan. Yeah, right? you can't because you have to, if you think you know what's going to happen, you're doing it wrong. Yeah. You know, you can't plan ahead because... It isn't going to go the way you think. Well, you've done everything right here in Booth One today, Sharna. Oh, you've been a wonderful, wonderful guest. I'll um, take that Hamilton ticket, Roscoe. Then. It's always a pleasure. Yes. You sign up for our list. All right. Well, I she will. might Darling. sue us over unauthorized use yeah, of her I could image do on that, our Ladies and gentlemen, I like us to. on Facebook, follow us on Twitter, go to our website at uh, www.booth-one.com. Uh, sign up for our A list uh, for Booth One. This is Gary Zabinski. And I'm Roscoe. Saying uh, keep listening and take care till next time. Thank you. Thank you. Oh, thank you. Thank you.